Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens, the most dangerous person in the world, Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. We'll talk to her about that and much more today. Also, it's the start of Women in Construction Week, what one group is doing to celebrate. Welcome to the Monday, March 6th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. AFT.org is their website. We're talking about a union that represents 1.7 million members across the country. We're talking not just teachers, but paraprofessionals, school-related personnel, higher education faculty, nurses, healthcare professionals, local, state, and federal government employees. I mean, they're pretty diverse, and we'll talk about the growth of the union. Randy, by the way, has been president since 2008. Interesting background. We're going to really delve into her background. Her mom was a teacher who went on strike for seven weeks, and that had quite a profound effect on Randy growing up, and it made her what she is today. I'll tell you, talk about one heck of a female labor leader back in the 1980s, she worked at a law firm. She talks about her treatment there, goes on to the United Federation of Teachers, and then becomes a union president. And according to uh, one former Secretary of State, she is the most dangerous person in the world. Why? Because she's a labor leader and she's a female. We'll talk about that. Doreen Cannon will be joining us later in the show, and she heads the Cleveland Ohio Tradeswomen Committee. She's also a chair of that committee. Today marks the beginning, well, actually yesterday, since yesterday was Sunday, it marks the beginning of Women in Construction Week. And uh, there's a lot going on. We're going to reference this all week on the show. And there's a, a construction career fair happening later in this month, which we've talked about on the show a number of times, sponsored by the Building Trades. And Doreen is going to talk about her rise in the uh, labor movement. She started her journey in uh, UA Plumbers Local 55, their apprenticeship program, back in 1998, the same year that her son started kindergarten and served her uh, five-year apprenticeship with uh, Northern Ohio Plumbing. She worked in the field for 14 years until she became a full-time evening instructor at the Joint Apprenticeship Training Council. In 2014, she became co-founder of the Cleveland Building Trades Tradeswoman Committee, which brings together tradeswomen all across Northeastern Ohio to support and encourage each other. So we'll touch on all of that and uh, about a special dinner that's going to happen in a couple of days. All right, so Doreen Cannon will be our second guest. Right now, we have to take a break. Randy Weingarten, head of the Teachers Union, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Liuna to build North America's infrastructure. 
from roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Check them out online at oft-aft.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now... Back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple there, AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Well, as I have indicated for the last uh, couple of days, March is Women's History Month, and there's a lot of women that we're celebrating and honoring during this month. And one of them is on our live line right now, and that is Randy Weingarten. Randy is president of the American Federation of Teachers, which is part of the AFL-CIO, representing teachers, paraprofessionals, school-related personnel, higher education. I mean, she's got it all. We're talking 1.7 million members, and she's had that position for quite some time, going back to uh, 2008. She's got quite a history. Randy Weingarten, she's been on the show a couple times. Thank you so much once again for joining us. How are we doing today, Randy? Um. Look, we are alive and we are fighting the fight for, you know, what kids and communities need and what parents need and want and trying to help make sure that um, our public schools do what they are supposed to do, which is to build the nation and to help our kids thrive. So just fighting that fight today. Ed, like I do every single day, I feel like I'm both the luckiest person in the world and in the crosshairs of the extremists all the time. You're the luckiest person in the world and the most dangerous person in the world as well. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit later. I, I know that, that raised a few eyebrows out there. But, uh, you know, your fight, you saw that fight. At an early stage, I want to go back to your childhood. I, I was reading that your mom was a teacher, and yeah. she got involved in a teacher strike. It went almost two months. What What yeah. do you recall about that? Because I'm thinking that had to make a, a very, very strong impact on you and what you became today. So can you take me back to that time? So let me just also say that, um, of course, um, and it was very... Um, both um, moving and impactful in my life. But 
very close to when my mom was on strike, my dad, both of whom unfortunately have since long died, was an electrical engineer in the defense industry. And, you know, when you saw a recession up close and personal, when he got laid off from his job and couldn't get another one for a while and, you know, worked in my uncle's um, small business and um, helped my grandparents' small business. So, you know, I really have lived as a kid the life of you know, a working person whose family went through the challenges that so many families go through right now. Um, but what, my, what happened with my mom, who was never a big unionist, I mean, she was in a union, she thought it was important, but her friendship circle is more important than her union, until they had a superintendent who decided that teachers should be seen and not heard and didn't value their voice to such an extent that he caused a strike because he wanted to get rid of any due process. And so at that time in the 70s, in New York State, teachers were under the tell law. They could not go on strike without penalty. And they lost two days' pay for every day that they were on strike. But they were on strike for the value of decency and respect. And the community supported them because the community knew who the teachers really were there to support kids and communities. And I remember being with my mom on the picket line. I often was the one who the grandmother would make rugula over the weekend. And I was the one who would deliver it to the line um, on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning. Those teachers stayed together and have taught me a really valuable lesson about solidarity mm-hmm. and about showing up. Because together you can accomplish what's impossible to do alone. And it taught me a really big lesson about sacrifice as well for the greater good. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, we've come a long way since those days, but in, in other ways, we're going back to them. It's it's really scary. Um, I will get into that a little bit later on, but I want to go to the time that you were in uh, um, downtown Manhattan. I believe you were working at a law firm. This would be in the, the 1980s. Um, yeah. That had to be an interesting challenge for you as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. Randy, it's all yours. Take me, uh, t- take it from there. Well, look, you know, I um, I wanted to be a labor lawyer on the union side. But, you know, when I was going through law school, it was really hard because even then, most law firms were small and, you know, they needed people who had experience. And so, you know, even though I've been on law review and other things, it was hard. So I went to a big law firm and one of my mentors said, look, get experience as a lawyer, get experience as a litigator, learn your skills, know your craft, and then, you know, work for the movement. And, you know, I was on partnership track and I was working my 200 hours a month if not more, probably sometimes it was, you know, two, three, four hundred hours a month that I build, um, staying up late, all of those horror stories that you heard about big firms. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what I saw, Ed, over the course of time, whether it was working at Strook, you know, where I got a great experience, whether it was as the head of the teachers union in the 1990s, but also the head of the municipal labor committee in the 1990s and the 2000s in New York City, where most of my colleagues were men. Of course, there's discrimination. Of course, you don't get the benefit of the doubt when you're the only woman in the room. And frankly, for me, I was the only woman many times and the only outwardly gay woman many times. Um, But what happens is, what happened for me is you just try to figure out how you navigate through all that. You understand what's happening. You understand the privilege that, you know, you, you may not have, you know, when there's a boys club. But lots of people go through that. And what you really need, what I found is my friendship circles and building community and having relationships with others and having your tribes having your groups, having your caucuses, having your sororities, having these things, building that community really helps navigate and support you in all these things. And you also have to really listen and be grateful, at least for me, as I've gotten older and older, older, one of the war stories about what happens, what I am remembering more and more is the gratitude that I had for others helping me. And so I've gotten more grateful and more and, and exercise gratitude more um, and think about things more in the we, 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 as opposed to the I, I, I. Mm-hmm. Because you don't actually get anywhere without a helping hand from others. And without building those communities and relationships. Randy, did you find those friendships, obviously solidarity you found, but the friendships, the community that you spoke about, that that got you through those times, those discriminatory times. Did you find that in in labor right away in the union that you uh, that you joined? Yes, I did. Um, And I also found it. Look, my best friend is still my, you know, best friend from law school. Um, I have friends from law school, from college, from high school that I'm still in touch with. Um, But what I found was in the struggle, friendships are born and relationships are born and connections are born. As long as you try to really honor and respect people. When you were with the United Federation of Teachers, which was um, pretty much just in New York City, the the union in New York City, then you went to right. the American Federation of Teachers. Right. I mean, there was some time, was a little a bit big, of time. In, that's a big leap. I mean, that's a big leap. Oh, Can yeah, you? it was a big leap. But, but also, so I was a snapper. So I left what was, um, you know, I was on partner track at the law firm I was at. 
Um, and I left to work in the movement. And I, when Sandy Feldman had become president of the UFT in um, New York City, um, she asked me to come in as her lawyer, as her counsel. Um, and then I got my teaching credentials. I taught, you know, as an adjunct in, in college before. And, you know, I love teaching. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I got my teaching credentials. I started co-teaching with um, a colleague of mine. I really believe that if you're going to make your life in the movement, you had to be able to close your eyes and experience at least some of what your members experience every day. And um, so I taught for um, six years, I think, from 1991 to 1997, or 1990 to 1997 at Clara Barton High School in Brooklyn, New York, some full-time and mostly part-time. And, you know, and I loved it. I loved it. But so my co-teacher, Leo Casey, became one of my best friends. And you know, co-teaching is not so easy. You're, it's like a marriage of a kind. And mm-hmm. you, got, you have different views. But we learned, you know, so in that class, AP Gov, which is, you know, AP has gotten a lot of attention these days. And, oh, yeah. you know, and, and um, but we were AP Gov teachers, and I taught other classes as well. But also in the union, the people you worked with, the advocacy you were doing. Um, I remember, you know, the hours and hours and hours you spend with people when you're, you know, when you're, you know, fighting for things. And so, you know, there was one of my colleagues, I'll never forget it. I was at work a lot, really late. And he lived in Brooklyn and I lived in Brooklyn. He was the elementary school vice president. And I always wondered, it took me a while I'd be like, why are you working as late as I am? And he kind of looked at me, and I'm like, are you doing this so that I'm not here alone? And he's like, kind of. And that's the kind of community. Teachers are amazing, and union activists are amazing, and they have a soul for wanting to make a better life for others. And so, you know, I've, you know, it's not always perfect, you know, and there's knives out a lot and organizations are what organizations are. But I always found community um, with um, my colleagues. And one of the things I would suggest to people, you know, and I'm not, you know, go out with people. Take, get a pizza at night with your colleagues and your friends, um, with your college at work. Find time to ask questions about families and their families. Mm-hmm. Find time to ask. Um, if you drink, go ahead and have a drink with people or a cup of coffee. It's, we, we lose the human nature of what we are and who we are sometimes. And I think that, you know, as I've gotten older, we, you know, I think about that. And, just let me just say one more thing, Ed, which is, and that's in deep contrast to what's happening on the other side on yeah. the, with the extremists, which are just, they're just trying to create division and rage and grievance. What we're trying to do is problem solve to make sure that everybody has a chance 
to, you know, climb that ladder of opportunity. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you need the help and the support. And, and we, as labor activists and as teachers, are kind of in the sweet spot of opportunity and justice. So have that kind of community, build that kind of community with each other. That's probably the most important thing I can say today. Randy Weingarten joining us in our live line today. She is president of the American Federation of Teachers, AFT.org. We're going to continue the conversation right after this. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at uaw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. And if you like a show, please share that show. It's important that we get more and more downloads. Our sponsors like that. We like to get more sponsors and grow the show in 2023 celebrating 30 years america's workforce three years coming up in june on all of our podcast platforms let's go back to our live line and rejoin randy weingarten president of the american federation of teachers randy i i I forgot to mention to you i have three teachers in my family my uh, two son-in-law yeah my two son-in-laws are teaching both of them in music and uh one of my daughters she's she's part-time because she's raising her little ones and boy i tell you is she in demand right now you know there's a crazy teacher shortage going on in america because of i guess a lot of that has to do with the politics of today randy i have to ask you frankly here what has happened here why are teachers being so demonized today especially in public schools i mean i'm sure there's a couple of answers to that but i like to hear it from the head of the teachers union on that go ahead so look 
This is not new. In the last um, uh, several decades, when the right wing decided that it was more important to privatize and um, siphon off money for charters or for vouchers, um, that um, competition more than the public good was important when, you know, you have like President Trump, I alone can fix it. There has always been this kind of fight between how do we help raise a community, including all of our kids? How do we help all of our parents? How do we help do all of that versus, you know, me, 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 me. And some of it is political and some of it is economic and some of it is because of the change of life. So think about what happened in a hundred years ago with the debate about evolution and, you know, do you teach evolution in schools and how huge a fight that was. Um, and then fast forward to now about whether or not we teach honest history as opposed to honest science. And so schools have always been, unfortunately, a battlefield. And, and teachers have always had to deal with that. But the difference right now is that, um, that we've just gone through COVID. And there are huge issues that, um, are, that, that cross class, social status, race, on, on how we help deal with mental health, how we deal with learning loss, how we help kids get their mojo back, how we deal with the fact that 60% of our kids don't go to college. How do we help them, you know, have the career ready? So teachers are trying to figure all of this out. And in some places, they have support. And then in other places, it's not even um, lack of support. It is out and out hurting and hampering their effects to get work done. And whether it's a war over math or whether it's telling them to close all their classroom libraries, like it's what's happening with DeSantis in, in, um, in Florida, um, what's happened is that teachers want what kids need. And we need to work with parents to make sure that schools are doing what they need to do to help kids thrive but requires the support that teachers get support and that teachers need to, to you know, um, make a decent living and have the conditions that they need. So instead, so the fight right now is that instead of um, helping us help kids, the um, extremists just want to create chaos and division and undermine schools so that they can have vouchers. They can have mm-hmm. privatization. And, and, and that and what you saw in this new polling is that parents are saying, wait a second. Yeah, of course I want to be asked my opinion. Of course I want choice about different things. But if push comes to shove and the question is support public schools or more choice, 80 to 20 say support public schools. 
And when we ask Kevin McCarthy what Kevin McCarthy should be doing, 85 to 15, support our schools. Don't start with investigation. And what's interesting to me, Ed, is just like the RNC just doubled down on election election deniers and they Mm -hmm. doubled down on more anti-abortion stuff, they're, again, not listening to what parents want, not listening to what kids need, and they're doubling down on this culture war, undermine public school to privatize agenda. So the question I have for you, Randy Weingarten, how do we fight this? This, this is an amazing battle that's going on right now in America. How do, how do we approach so, this? So we fight it um, by doing um, what we all do best, which is work together on our fundamental values to help our kids succeed. And that means supporting teachers, support kids. And just like in everything we do in terms of labor movement, nothing is easy. It is together we will accomplish what is impossible to do alone. And keep our focus, as King said, eyes on the prize. Keep Mm -hmm. our focus on what's important, which is lifting up our kids, lifting up their families, lifting up to ensure that people have the opportunity for a better life. Not just those who are rich and well-heeled. You know, the elitists will be able to do whatever the elitists do. But most of us weren't born with a silver spoon in our mouth. We've got to work together. That's why the union movement is so important in terms of fighting for economic dignity and rights. And that's why public education is so important, because that is the way we help our kids thrive. Work with us. My, my plea to everybody who's listening, work with us. We, 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 we're, we, we need your support and help. In, in this fight to help our kids thrive. I know a lot of teachers have left the profession because they just can't put up with this anymore, sadly. And I feel, especially you brought up uh, Florida, I mean, there are teachers facing felony charges, jailable charges, for having the wrong book in class. I mean, I never yeah. thought... America would come to this, but it's it's very sad. It's very sad. It kind of reminds me of what went on in Nazi Germany in, in the 1930s. I'm, I'm sure there's some comparisons there, don't you think? Well, I mean, I'm, I have to be very careful because every, every time I say anything, the right wing attempts to um, misrepresent my words. So let me just say this. Remember what Kristallnacht was. Yep. Kristallnacht was the night that moved from incitement and defamation and slander and malignment of Jews to violence. And the way in which it was done was to burn books. And we, people of goodwill and good mind, we have to fight for the fundamental freedoms for everyone. So when Ron DeSantis wants to get rid of a classroom library, you know, there 
are, that means it's going to hurt the kids in that classroom. Let parents make a decision about what kids read or don't read. But why would you take books away from every single child? When Ron DeSantis said, those kids in Miami Beach no longer can take AP African-American studies. Who is he hurting as he's trying to prepare for his run for election or for his run for presidency? What he's hurting is he's being mean-spirited and hurting those kids taking that course that they no longer can take in the middle of the school year, just pulling it out from them. Yeah. So he can run for election um, and or run for president um, uh, and an appeal to a certain group of people, hurting yeah. others to appeal to a certain group of people. So what I would ask is we can fight this. The people are with us, you know, overwhelmingly people don't want banning of books. Parents don't want banning of books, but, we have to actually act in tandem. One of the ways we do is during elections. Another way is, you know, at school board meetings or, or you know, working to make sure that those books are not banned. Creating attention on this, letting teachers teach honest history, giving them the support that they need to help our kids. Teaching is not easy, as you know, um, but. What the right wing wants or these extremists want, they just want people to give up. They want people to say, oh, my God, there's so much terrible going on. I'm just going to hide. Could you imagine if people of goodwill in Austria, Germany, instead of just hiding, instead of just saying, "Uh, they're not after me yet, I'm just going to hide. Could you imagine if they were out there in front of Schul's? front of temples saying no not on our watch hate doesn't win and that's what we have to do we have to do we have to be people of goodwill saying hate doesn't win here bullying doesn't win here opportunity for all fighting to ensure everybody gets their piece of the american dream that's what wins. you said you had a Choose your words carefully, and I know how the media works today. We all know that. I've been in the media for 50 years, and you were called the most dangerous person, not just in the country, but in the entire world by the, the former world. Secretary of State. I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> now, I have More to ask you... More dangerous than the be... barbaric Putin. More... <laughs> I mean, and these are, you know... I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I found it... You know, I found it particularly um, ironic because um, Mike Pompeo, who is as elite as elite can get, um, who, um, you know, in his new book, um, literally goes after journalists and attempts to make a defense of Saudi Arabia for the barbaric murder of Khashoggi. Uh, You know, one wonders where his either soul or brain is, but what he doesn't even know 
as they all try to make this argument about how any progressive is, you know, a communist or a socialist or this or that, he doesn't even know that my grandparents, my grandfather, who came to the United States from Ukraine, became a small business person to compare his granddaughter to more dangerous than Putin, it was un-American. And unbelievable. It, it was, I mean, it's just, it, it was, he clearly is a wannabe if running for president. But what, what it also was is on a, on a non-personal basis, what was it really? It's a proxy war for undermining teaching, teachers, and public education. Yep. So how ridiculous to call the granddaughter of a refugee from Russia who suffered through this kind of oppression, call her more dangerous than the oppressors. But more than that, what it was is it's another just attempt to, to undermine the teaching of critical thinking, the teaching of kids, the teaching kids how to be the knowledge knowers, the creators, the innovators of today and tomorrow. That's what I found disgusting. Calling what we do filth, that's what I found disgusting and outrageous. Teachers want what kids need. Teachers are the most important adults in young people's lives other than a young person's parent. We need to support them, not undermine them. Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers on this special edition of America's Workforce as we celebrate and commemorate Women's History Month. Making history, Randy, every day, every day that you go to work. You take care. Stay safe. Stay strong. And let's uh, let's keep in touch down the road, okay? Thanks, Ed. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Doreen Cannon will be joining us of the Cleveland Tradeswomen Committee. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. 
This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union in there. Right now, let's go to line number two. And joining us once again, we've had this lady on the show many, many times, often talking about apprenticeship fairs. In fact, there's another one coming up in Cleveland on March 23rd at Pipefitters Local 120 Union Hall. We'll get to that in a minute. But today, well, actually yesterday, started Women in Construction Week. And there's an event that's going to happen in a couple of days at a Electrical Workers Union Hall and Doreen Cannon retired now from plumbers local 55 is going to talk i didn't know you retired how long were you uh, working at uh as, at local 55 doreen 25 years 25 years and, mm-hmm. and but you're retired but you're still busy as ever aren't you absolutely sometimes i think busier <laughs> yeah so i'm still i'm happy to still be out there promoting the apprenticeships and really trying to recruit um the workforce for the future so i'm still happy to be doing that well i know you had a hand in this event coming up this week for women in construction week but you know what why don't you uh, refresh our listeners about your journey into the trades and i know a lot more females people of color are getting involved in the trades and for very good reason. There's a good wage to be made. Plus you got the benefits and you're enjoying the retirement. There's an example right there because of what you worked for during those 25 years. But I understand that I, I guess when you're, uh, when your son started kindergarten, that was uh, that was a time to get in, into the trades. Can you go back to that time and uh, and talk about it? Yeah, so I was in retail management for years, working, you know, 60 hours a week, getting paid for 40, having every holiday and Christmas season ruined because I was working so much. And then I stayed home for a few years when my son was born. So when I decided to go back into the workforce, I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. And I always enjoyed working with my hands. My dad was real handy. Uh, He was a pipe fitter by trade in the aerospace union, a maintenance pipe fitter. And um, he always did a lot around the house, even in the yard, building stone, and but I always was helping him. So my mother saw a little article in the Cleveland Plain Dealer about a career fair trying to get more women into the trades. You know, you're talking about 27 years ago that I that she saw that. And I went to this career fair, and I visited all the different trades, and uh, I ended up on the plumbers because I thought they had a really good training program. And then I applied, and I got in right when my son was starting all-day kindergarten. So it worked out perfectly. Now, talk to me about adjusting to that, because I know a lot of women that get involved in the trades, especially if they have children, it, it's difficult because of the hours. Now, how how difficult was it for you at that time, Doreen? You know, I was lucky because my husband actually worked second shift, so he would always get my son off to school, and then I would always be there to pick him up, even though he did have to go to after-school care for a little while. But you're absolutely right. That's a big point going across the country now, and it's not just the females, it's the young male apprentices who are single parents. And a lot, it's so hard because so many of the daycare centers that are around don't open up early enough 
for these workers, the construction workers, to get to the job, and they don't stay open late enough because you know what it's like. You're on a job and something happens. You can't leave. You've got to get it done, a pipe burst, something like that. You just can't leave. So that's an, a real issue. And there is some programs across the country started by the tradeswomen groups across the country that have some pilot programs out to try to help with this daycare problem. Yeah, yeah. Are we getting better at it, though, in your opinion? Oh, I think so. And I think now that it's come to light that this really is an issue for a lot of different type of employments, right? But for the trades particularly, this is definitely Mm -hmm. an issue. Well, I see uh, it was nine years ago. The year was 2014. You became co-founder of the Cleveland Building Trades Tradeswoman Committee. Can you uh, can you talk about that? Was that uh, was that difficult to put together? Maybe you can reflect on uh, on that time and uh, and how it has grown since then. Well, it, we the reason it worked out so good right then is because Dave Wondolowski got elected as executive secretary of the Cleveland Building Trades. Before that, we had a bit of an issue trying to get our foot in the door just to have a meeting to talk about tradeswoman issues. But Dave was so open to it that when myself and a carpenter went in and talked to him, he suggested, hey, why don't we start a tradeswoman committee under the umbrella of the Cleveland Cleveland Building Trades? And that's how it all started. Because we knew it's too hard to have just a, a, a plumber's tradeswoman committee and electricians because there's so few women. You know what I mean? So by bringing mm-hmm. all the trades together under that umbrella that Dave set up through the Cleveland Building Trades, that's really what has helped us. And it's grown a lot. I mean, we have a lot going on. We do some social get-togethers. This is because this is this committee is also about supporting each other and mentoring the women, especially the women who are just getting in. So we have some social get-togethers, and we have some. We do a big Christmas party every year that we pick a local. Um, nonprofit to have as our charity of the year and we do fundraising and we collect items and then we have a picnic every year and then we do things like what's coming up for women in construction week yeah yeah i take it you're involved in the trades women builds nations week which was i believe in october they did the last one in the vegas is that yes. uh, is that part of what you're what you do there yeah, I uh, I attended this year, and it was the biggest one ever. There was 3,200 women. And it's funny because mm-hmm. I remember starting going 15 years ago when it was just in California, and there was maybe 500 women from all across the country. So it has grown huge, and it's it's an amazing conference that really, especially the newer apprentices um, should go to, and then women who are interested in starting to get involved in their unions run for some kind of leader position, leadership position because they have workshops there that kind of help women think of going on that path. It's yeah. a great conference. Well, I heard good things about it. We talked to a couple of people that attended, and uh, they're excited. They want to go again right away. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. I think the next one's going to be in uh, in D.C., and uh, yeah. you got to salute the North North America Building Trades for pushing that. They they did a great job. It you know the, it first started the idea started I know in the the late seventies and that really picked up since then. But let's talk about what's happening this week. Women in Construction Dinner. Now it's interesting. You talked about the individual trades. Now this was started by the IBEW Local Thirty Eight, and then it kind of blossomed. Can you uh, can you tell us what happened and what what you what uh, what's going to happen at this uh, dinner and this I, is this the first one i mean there's a lot of questions here that need to be answered go ahead 
Right. So Women in Construction Week has been celebrated all across the country for quite a few years. We have never done anything in Cleveland before, and it kind of just fell into place. So, um, yeah, Emma Varner, who is, uh, sits on the board for the Cleveland Tradeswoman Committee, we had our board meeting, and she brought it up that she had approached um, Dan Gallagher, local, the business manager for Local 38 Electricians, about having a dinner for the the electrician women, the tradeswomen and the electricians local. And then by sitting at the board meeting, she goes, you know, she didn't know how much of a response she was going to get. And I said, how about if we open it up to all the tradeswomen and make it supported not only by the electricians, but by the Cleveland Building Trades and the Cleveland Tradeswomen Committee. So that's how this kind of all came about. It just kind of all fit together. And um, we're really looking forward to it because, again, we in Cleveland, we have not done anything like this. So this is our kind of our first shot to do something for that uh, Women in Construction Week. And there's no charge for, for dinner, is there? No, absolutely. No, actually, we got the food donated by Mission Barbecue. So that was really nice of them. They're donating all the food, and then the hall is donated. So we really have not much overhead, which is the way we like it because we don't want like, awesome. we don't want to have to charge the women. So, no, no, no. Oh, that's cool. Again, it's going to be this Wednesday, March eighth, four thirty p.m. Held at uh, Local 38's uh, Union Hall, which is at 1590 East 23rd Street. And the registration deadline has come and gone. We did promote it here on America's Workforce. Uh, so I, I'm expecting a pretty good crowd there. It should it should be good. And obviously, it's the start of something big down the road. All right. Yes. You know, it's interesting. You said you went to a career fair back in the 90s. And that's what got you hooked on uh, on plumbing and, and pipe fitting. And... Uh, you got another career fair coming up here. I know you, you've hosted these over the years, and we promote them here on the show. This one is going to happen again at uh, Pipefitters Local 120 Union Hall on March 23rd, 6 to 7.30 p.m. I would imagine when you do these things, you probably see a lot of uh, Doreen cannons in the room from years past. Wouldn't that be the case, Doreen? Yeah, that is that is the case. Yeah, we host the Cleveland Building Trades hosts two of these a year, usually one in the spring and one in the fall. And what I like about it so much is we started it years ago as a place for individuals who are interested in the trades to be able to meet all the trades in one spot. You know, you go, you might go to a career fair at a high school. There might be one trade there, you know, there, and then everybody else is there, and we kind of get lost in the shuffle. But this is a place that only. Um, Cleveland Building Trades apprenticeship programs are there. And it's great because somebody can walk around, talk to each one of the trades, find out a lot of people don't understand what plumbers do, what electricians do, what it is even like to be in these careers. And this is a great opportunity to meet each one, find out what their program entails, how do you apply, how do you get into the program, and make people realize that this is not a some big best kept secret, right? These are opportunities mm-hmm. for people to get into these careers, no cost to them, a great, great career, great training, great wages, great benefits. And, you know, you, you just can't beat it. It's, it. Where else can you go and start working somewhere and know that in your second year in this job, you're going to be making this money and the next year this money. And when you become a journeyman, this is how much money you're going to be making, you know, because yeah. we do all do it through collective bargaining agreements. And there's equal pay for all the apprentices and for the journeymen and women. I'm uh, looking at all the career opportunities and all the trades, bricklayers, carpenters, cement masons, electrical workers, glazers, heat and frost insulators, iron workers, laborers, operating engineers, painters, pipe fitters, plumbers, roofers, waterproofers, sheet metal workers. They got them all here. Any, um, 
one in perhaps more demand than others? What what are you hearing out there, Doreen? I think there. Are, I think everybody's in demand. You know, we've got a lot of work coming up in Ohio. We have a lot of work going on across the country, and we've got the baby boomers all retiring, like me, <laughs> and um, <laughs> we're, we're losing that workforce, right? And that's yeah. a big workforce. You know, baby boomers made up make up a big part of the population. So we're losing those. I think it's in over the next four years, the last of them are going to be retiring. So we're yeah. losing that really. Um, those workers who really know the trade and we need to start replacing them with younger workers. So I think all the trades, all of the trades, especially here in Ohio, um, have a demand for apprentices. Now you say you do these like twice a year. What, what's the average amount of people that usually come to these apprenticeship fairs? The biggest one we had was almost 500, like 480 people, which was huge. I would say average between 275 and 300. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot I, of people, yeah. I, I noticed on the flyer it says women, Cleveland residents, and people of color are encouraged to attend. I, I'm just wondering, are you seeing are you seeing that makeup starting to happen in, in, when it comes to attendance? Are you seeing a mix? Are you seeing a diverse crowd at these career fairs? Yes, and I, every time we host one, I think it gets more diverse. I think we're doing a great job of reaching out to some of those areas, uh, kind of the non-traditional workers, where we're starting to pull them in and get them to understand what these programs are about, for sure. Good. All right, let's uh, leave it on that note. Again, the Apprenticeship Career Fair, Pipefitters Local 120 Union Hall, Halley Drive, Cleveland, Ohio, March 23rd, 6 to 7.30 p.m., for more information, you can call Doreen Cannon at this number, 216-459-0099, extension 143, and masks are encouraged. Yes, we're still in a pandemic, so masks are encouraged. And those of you listening, we are now, well, we've been nationally podcast going on three years in June, and I keep saying this on the show, if you have a career fair similar to this or in an event that's a union event, Make sure you go to our website, awfpodcast.com, and contact us, and we'll be happy to promote it on the show. We want to make sure that a lot of people find their pathway to the middle class. That's what it's all about, awfpodcast.com. Doreen, great job. I'm going to let you go back to work. Enjoy your retirement, whatever that is right now. <laughs> and and, and uh, we'll check in with you down the road. And have fun at that Women in Construction dinner this week, okay? Um, yeah, we're very excited about it. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we check in with the woman who heads the Wisconsin AFL-CIO and Iron Workers Local 44 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.